Father, as we come before you now, bringing your tithes and our offerings, we pray that this would be a time of worship. A time before we, when we come before you again this week to say that everything that we have comes from you. To be reminded of our need for you and your great provision to us. And Father, we pray your blessings upon these tithes and offerings. That you would use them to bless the people of Christ Presbyterian Church, to bless the people of Fett County, the people in Tennessee, and people all around the world as your kingdom goes forth. We ask these prayer in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. When you think of a fool, who do you picture? Fool is not or shouldn't be a word we use lightly. So while the Tennessee fans may be worried about a joke here, I'll keep my mouth shut. Most of us, if we call someone a fool, we probably regret it after some reflection. But this word is right there in verse 1 of Psalm 14. The fool. So again, when we hear the word fool, who do we think of? Like a word association game, who pops into our mind when we hear this word? This morning I'm thinking of the person who decided it was to be the custom to wear a suit in the summer in the South. Or I picture anyone who uses Snapchat or TikTok or any other form of social media. That's me, personally. But who is it for you? President Biden? Donald Trump, Democrats, Republicans, pro-choicers, pro-lifers perhaps, open borders advocates, transgender advocates, socialists, communists, critical race theorists, Black Lives Matters advocates, perhaps the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, mask wearers or non-mask wearers, people who got the vaccine or people who haven't gotten the vaccine. Liberal Christians, evangelical Christians, agnostics, atheists. Are these the people we picture when we think of fools? And when we do think of our fool, what thoughts come next? Frustration? Anger? Hatred? Despair? Do we love them? Do we pity them? Do we have any hope for them? Do we see ourselves in them? Do we have any hope for ourselves when we feel surrounded by them? Do we dare cry out to God on both our behalf and theirs? As we will see this morning, we live in a world of fools and that our God loves those fools. So we must consider our response to the situation in which we find ourselves, surrounded by fools whom God loves. And Psalm 14 shows us the correct response. Psalm 14 is a psalm of lament. 
the psalmist is crying out to God, seeking answers and relief because he sees the world around him and he is in despair because he and God's people are surrounded by fools. And many of us feel this same despair this morning. We look out at the world and we feel surrounded by fools. So this psalm written thousands of years ago speaks to us still today because of its timeless truth about who God is and about who we are. Because what this psalm shows us is that we are all fools. But that in spite of our foolishness, our God loves us. Psalm 14 is going to show us four truths this morning. First, that a fool is someone who is opposed to God. Second, that in God's eyes, at some point we are all fools. Third, that all people fall in one of two camps. Fools opposed to God or righteous members of God's family. And finally, that salvation has come for the fool. Before we look at this psalm, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we have heard your call to worship this morning. We have sang songs together, praising you. We have offered up prayers to you. We have confessed our sins. And we have heard the assurance that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that even right now there is no condemnation for us. And now we come before you as your people with concerns on our heart. And in a few moments we will be reminded again that you are a God who speaks. But right now remind us that you are a God who listens. Father, even now be with Robert Gardner's mom. Bring healing to her. Comfort her and her family. Give her doctors wisdom. Help us as a church to love them, to support them in this time. Father, I pray for Matthew Ray this morning as he prepares to take the bar exam this week. Calm his fears. Help him to recall the things he has learned. Bless him, Father, as he takes that test. Father, I pray for all the students in our church. Those who will be returning to school here in this community in two weeks. And those who will be going off to college or returning back to college in the next few weeks. Strengthen them against the temptations that they face. Help them to see that this is the time that you have given them to study and to learn. Help them to be diligent about those tasks. Bless the teachers in our midst. Give them wisdom. Give them patience. Give them spirits of gentleness. Help them to point their students and fellow staff members to you. Father, bless Mike Ford in his ministry at RUF, at UT Knoxville. Help him to proclaim the good news of your gospel to the students there. Bless our fellow churches here in Fitt County this morning as they meet. Remind them of the goodness of your grace to them 
show them your love again this morning. Father, if there is any disunity in the churches here in this county, we pray for reconciliation. We pray for peace and for your mercy. Father, bless Jeff and Katie Saunders and their ministry in Japan as they are home on furlough. We pray that this would be a time of rest, a time of joy, a time of encouragement. Help them to be encouraged, but help them to be an encouragement to your church as they tell your people here how you are at work in the nation of Japan. Now, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear you this morning. Bring conviction where it is needed, repentance where it is needed, reconciliation, comfort, and assurance where they are needed. Teach us to wait on you and to hope in your word with the confidence that even when we are foolish, you love us. We ask these prayers in your Son's name. Amen. I don't have scripture sheets, but Psalm 14 is actually in your bulletin, so you don't need one, all right? So look again with me at verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. With these words, David introduces his psalm. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. A few minutes ago, we considered the people we think of when we hear the word fool. But is that the person the Bible is describing? The Hebrew word translated fool describes a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. A person who is morally deficient. And we see this from the text. The people David is describing are not proclaiming with words that there is no God. This isn't necessarily the evangelistic atheist teaching a seminar or writing a book about the falsehoods of God. No, these people say in their hearts that there is no God. Our hearts are the very core of our being. So the fool believes in his inner being that there is no God. And how do we know that the fool believes this? By the way that he acts. Not by what he says, but by what he does. His actions are corrupt. His deeds are abominable. He does not do good. And since God and His law are the very definition of good, the fool is opposed to God. The fool hears God's law and rejects it. The fool looks at this world, the stars in the sky, the sun rising in the east and setting in the west, day in and day out, the beauty and wonder and vastness of it all, and instead of recognizing the truth of Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork, that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge, instead of seeing that and saying, I need to seek out this God who made these things, who designed the world in this way, who is pointing to Himself through the glory of His creation, instead of asking, who is this God? What is He like? What does He require of me? The fool ignores this revelation and chooses to say, there is no God. And with his refusal to believe, the fool sets himself in opposition to God and his deeds reveal his heart. Now the book of Proverbs, which uses the word fool 40 times in the ESV translation, gives us a clear picture of the type of person David has in mind here. Here are just a few of these descriptions of the fool. The vexation of a fool is known at once. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. 
So we see that a fool is someone who is easily angered and responds to every insult, who is slow to forgive and quick to bear a grudge. Hear these words, that whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So a fool is that one who never stops talking. He doesn't listen. He's not interested in learning, but in only expressing his opinion. Instead of listening to or trying to understand others, he slanders them. Hear these words. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. One who is wise and cautious turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So a fool does not take sin seriously, but laughs at it instead of repenting and turning to God's laws and ways. And then hear these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. These words are the summation of the fool. Someone who believes he is self-sufficient. Who does not listen to or seek the wisdom and counsel of others. Who is satisfied in his own comfort and security and doesn't think he needs anyone, much less God. We all know this person. Some of us have been this person. Some of us still are this person this morning. You know how we talk about him. You know old so-and-so. He's good people. He's a good man. Does all the right things. He's faithful to his wife. He's a good father. Has a good job. He knows and hangs out with the right people. Went to the right schools. He's a good person. Yet this person doesn't go to church, even though he may be a member of one. He doesn't consider the ways of God. He's not curious about who God is. doesn't call out to God or pray to Him. Why? Because in his mind, he doesn't need God. His life is good. He's comfortable. He's secure. He doesn't seek after God because he's sufficient in himself. Why does he need God? What can God do for him? What benefit can he add to the life that he already has? Here we see that for these people, people we know and love, that he's the worst kind of fool. Because by his lack of gratitude and reverence and humility, his refusal to consider the ways of God or to seek after Him, this person shows his heart's true belief that there is no God. Hear what David is saying, that our actions, not our words, show what we believe. And if our actions are morally deficient, if we are quick to anger, if we hold grudges, if we slander others, if we laugh at our sin, if we are indifferent to God and His law, we are screaming to the world that we do not believe in God. And not only that we do not believe in Him, but that we are opposed to Him. So verse 1 teaches us what a fool is. And now for the hard truth this morning. We all begin life as fools, as people opposed to God. Look again at verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. 
Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. When we read the description of the fool from Proverbs, anyone get uncomfortable? Descriptions hit a little too close to home? Did you squirm a little when we read that a fool is someone who is easily angered, who holds grudges, who talks too much, who doesn't value the opinions of others, who slanders others? He looks back and laughs at his own sin or doesn't take the time to consider the ways of God, doesn't think about Him, shows Him no gratitude because of His self-sufficiency. I know these descriptions made you picture somebody else, probably even somebody in this room. But did you ever picture yourself? And if not, then we either weren't listening or we simply refused to believe it. And here, verses 2 and 3 show us why we're uncomfortable. Why the descriptions from Proverbs hit home. Because we have all turned aside. There is none who does good, not even one. See the pictures these verses are painting. God is looking down from heaven on the children of man. And what does He see? People whose actions show that they do not. 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in verses 11 and 12 it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God looks down from heaven and He sees. And what does he see? That we have all turned aside. That there are none who seek after him. That there is none who does good. Not even one. And when we hear the descriptions of the fool in Proverbs, we know this was once true for us. We know we were once slanderers. That we were easily angered. That we held grudges. That we laughed at our sin. That we thought we didn't need God. We know we were not seeking after God that we did not understand. We recognize this truth if we are honest with ourselves, that there is none who does good, not even one, not even me. And for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, this is still true for us. We do not seek after God. Sure, you're at church this morning, but are you still that, that same self-sufficient fool? You're here because your wife made you come? Or you're here because this is what good southern people do. You don't intend to change your ways or consider that what we are saying this morning is true. That God is real. That He is a God who has revealed Himself. And that He is calling you to give up your foolish unbelief and to cry out to Him, to seek Him, to ask questions about Him, to take the time to ponder His very existence, to find life in Him to follow Him in His ways. Because without accepting these truths and by continuing to reject Him, you are revealing your foolishness. And as we saw in verse 1, that doesn't make you indifferent to God. It makes you opposed to Him. This is a place we have all been. One, The fool is someone who is opposed to God. And according to verses 2 and 3, we all began life as fools, as people opposed to God. 
But the psalmist now shows us that we do not have to remain as fools, but can become a part of God's people. Look at verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. The Bible and this psalm place us all in one of two camps, foolish or righteous, foolish or wise, Jew or Gentile, sheep or goats, in Adam or in Christ. And what verses 2 and 3 told us is that we all begin as fools. We all begin in Adam, in a state of rebellion against God. But verses 4 and 6 demonstrate that some have cast off their foolishness and have sought after the Lord. And we know in reading the Old Testament that this only happened because God sought them out. In His grace, God called Abraham out of idol worship. In His grace, He rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. In His grace, He didn't destroy them in the wilderness when they acted like fools instead of acting like His people. And He brought them into the promised land. And in this psalm, God's people are lamenting that the fools who are opposed to God are also opposed to them. They are evildoers who are plundering God's people. They take advantage of the poor instead of providing for them. And they do not call upon the name of the Lord. So God's people see this evil in the world. And they see that this evil exists because people are opposed to God. And what is their response in this situation? They lament. They cry out, but they cry out in hope, not in fear, because they know that God is with His people. He is their refuge. Look at verse 4. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers? Isn't this our cry when we see the pain and agony that come when people choose to ignore God? When people are making shipwreck of their lives? Why don't they get it? How do they not see the pain and destruction their sin is causing? How do they not see that to follow the Lord is to have life, but to follow the path of the fool is a path to destruction? So as we asked earlier, what is our response to the situation we find ourselves in? Surrounded by fools whom God loves. This psalm shows that our response should be to lament, to cry out, to cry out with hope. Because our hearts should break for the fool for the one opposed to God. Because even though the Bible divides people into two camps, here the fool and the righteous, these two camps are not us versus them. We are not at war with the fool. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but is with sin and Satan and his forces. No, we are not against the foolish person. Think back to the person you pictured at the beginning of this sermon. That person who causes you so much anger and frustration and despair because of his foolishness. We as God's people are not against this person. No, we want this person to become a part of God's family. We want this person to become a member of the righteous. We are to lament over those we know who are opposed to God. We are to love the fool as God loves the fool. And this brings us to the final point that God provides salvation for the fool. 
as we have seen earlier, the fool is opposed to God, that we all start out this life as fools, and that people either remain fools or they become a part of God's family. Now, if no one seeks after God, if there is none who does good, no, not even one, how does this happen? That should be the question that we are asking. How is this possible? If we all begin as fools, then how can we become a part of God's people? And verse 7 gives us the answer. Again, if you don't remember anything else, God provides salvation for the fool. Look again at verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of His people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Here at the end, the psalmist has seen what God has seen, that there is none who does good, that God's people are surrounded by fools who reject God and who are opposed to Him. But after seeing this, the psalmist doesn't respond with despair. Instead, he cries out to the Lord, and he cries out for salvation and restoration. And he cries out in hope when the Lord restores the fortunes of His people. When. This salvation is a sure thing. God had promised it to His people and it would come out of Zion. The psalmist knew it would come. And as we are made right with God by our faith, the psalmist was also made right by his faith. Even though he didn't know when or how God would accomplish this great act of salvation. But we do. We know that salvation came out of Zion when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, rode into Zion, His city, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This Jesus who came and lived with the fools who were opposed to Him. This Jesus who was crucified by those same fools so that Paul could later write, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still fools, Christ died for us. The psalmist waited with anticipation for this salvation to come, but we don't have to wait. We know that salvation has come for the fool. But the people of Israel, when Jesus did come, they had a problem with His manner of salvation. And if we're honest with ourselves, we often have the same problem. You see, we forget verses 2 and 3. We forget that we were numbered with the fools. Israel began to expect that salvation would come for God's people, but that when it came, the fools would experience the great terror mentioned in verse 5. That when salvation came for God's people, that judgment would come on those that were not God's people. The people of Israel began to think that the two camps, fool and righteous, Jew and Gentile, were at war with one another. They thought this was an us versus them situation. God's people forgot that God had called them to be a light to the nations. And when salvation came out of Zion through the person and work of Jesus Christ, salvation was offered to all people, not just to Israel, but to the nations, to those opposed to God, to the fool. And many in Jesus' time rejected this idea that salvation was the, for the fool. They saw, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that the cross was folly. They thought that those who believed in the cross were fools. Why would God come and die for the fools? 
the people of Israel forgot verses 2 and 3. Because remember that those are not a description of those outside the church. We don't get to read these verses and paint a picture of us versus them as if we were the wise ones who sought after God and whom God loves because we are living right. This is the very lie that Paul confronts in Romans 3 when he cites Psalm 14 that Mary read this morning. He confronts the lie that just because you grew up in a Christian home or were baptized by good Presbyterian parents, that you're somehow right with God simply because of your heritage. The lie that if you do mostly good and you come to church every once in a while, then you're okay because you're proclaiming with words that you believe in God, even if your actions don't show it. The lie that many of these first century Jews believed, that they were right before God because they followed the law. They were good people. They were the same good people that Proverbs warned us of earlier. And what does Paul say to this in Romans 3? What then? Are we Jews any better off? Right? You can almost hear him. Are we Presbyterians any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then in verse 22, Paul's famous words, For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, are made right with God. How? By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We were all fools. We were all opposed to God. None of us were seeking Him, but He sought us. He looked down from heaven and He saw that no one does good, not even one, that no one seeks after God. And did He turn a blind eye? Did He reject us? Did He send another flood? No, as we sing in our opening hymn this morning, He came down from heaven and He sought us to be His holy bride. Salvation came for the fool. And if you are here today and you know Him and you trust Him, then cast off your works of foolishness. If you feel overwhelmed by the world around you, then cry out to Him. If you feel compelled to hate the world because of its foolishness, know that He wasn't compelled to hate you. But He sought you out. He showed you grace. And He tells you to extend that same grace to the fools around you, as difficult as that may be. And if you're here today and you're still not seeking Him, if you still say in your heart that there is no God, the Bible says very plainly that you're a fool. And I know that's a tough word. I hesitate to even say it. No one likes to be called a fool. But it's what Psalm 14 says. So it's what God says this morning. And so it's the most loving thing that anyone can say to you this morning if you don't believe in God. It's that you're a fool. Because God's salvation is only for fools. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to know what all the Christian words mean that I referenced here this morning. You don't have to correct your foolishness before you come. Because if you did, then none of us would be able to come. You only have to know that you have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And once you believe this, that salvation came out of Zion for the fool, 
then you can have confidence that one day you will feast in the house of Zion with the rest of us fools, with us sinners saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.